Good evening and welcome to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York and as always streaming live at WBAI.org. This is your weekly public affairs show where we focus on the big issues in city, state and national politics that matter to you. And today's topic is certainly one that continues to dominate the headlines even today as we consider the future of reproductive rights in our country. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and each week my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and I dive into these topics, and we also open up the phone lines, which we will do later in the show to hear from you, our dedicated WBAI listeners, to hear your opinions. But first, please join me in welcoming the amazing Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, how are you today? Always happy to hear your voice, Jeff. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? This is always the highlight of my week, our, our one hour together that we get to be able to discuss policy and politics, but also, you know, we get to learn more about each other on these days, too. Every week, Jeff. Every <laughs> week. We're dealing with a very serious topic today. I mean, I'm sure you have followed this as well today. It continue, each day there continues to be new developments on this topic. Uh, you know, I, first let me I ask you what, you know, what has surprised, any surprises today for you? Or is this really taking the course that we kind of expected it to? Yeah, I mean, I would say that for me, you know, just sort of watching the the temperature on this rise and fall and watching people stocking up sort of anxiously, almost in a panicked sort of way on um, medications, these medications um, that can uh, induce uh, an abortion for people, you know, just in case the the law, you know, goes further, further south, further afield of what we have been used to for 50 years under uh, Roe versus Wade. So that's been interesting to me to see, at least in certain places, certain public authorities, universities and so on, states, you know, starting to stockpile these drugs because we're just not sure what's ultimately going to happen on the national scene, Jeff. Yeah, and there was this piece that I had just read. I'm not even all the way through it, but this is one of the things I thought about is where people, you're mentioning stockpiling, where people are going to be trying to get these pills. There's this piece in the New York Times about the online market for overseas abortion pills. It's, it's going to be incredible to watch how this all plays out. But uh, I mean, for those of you who just tuned in that aren't familiar with what's taken place, I'd, I'd be a bit surprised because I feel like our WBAI listeners are very informed. We, You and I both know that, Celeste. But should we recap the last few days, a little of what has taken place for folks? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And then, I mean, it's, I think this is something that people have been following, but obviously we know that a lot has changed since the uh, decision in Dobbs, since uh, uh, essentially the dismantling of Roe versus Wade. And now we're going to see, um, we are seeing, and we're going to continue to see very um, variegated responses among the different states, but certainly a lot of eyes right now, uh, Jeff, on Texas and, and what, what's been going on with uh, uh, decision-making in Texas. Yeah, and in fact, right after that decision, you mentioned Dobbs, right after that decision eliminating the constitutional protection for abortion and allowing states to kind of set their own laws, Texas is one of the first that implemented its, uh, its what, trigger law banning abortion that took effect. So performing an abortion is now a felony punishable by life in prison. And most of Texas's neighboring states also passed these laws as well. So let's then fast forward to just last week. A federal judge in Texas delivered this long-awaited ruling with an unprecedented conclusion that mifepristone, the drug that is used in more than half of all abortions that are performed in our country, was not properly approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, 23 years ago. 
the temporary withdrawal of the drug, which is expected to go into effect tomorrow, if I'm correct, and we'll get our have our guests weigh in on this because they're much more expert at this. But and that is, of course, if no legal challenges succeed beforehand. But that would immediately take the most commonly used method of abortion off the table or across our country. And now, mifepristone is the only drug that the FDA approved for use in these cases. Now, the Biden administration over the last few years has tried to expand access to the uh, the medication. But the recent lawsuit by the anti-abortion physicians group, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, last year led to this Texas decision. And that seeks to do the opposite, Celeste. Right. So what we see is, you know, with that ruling, Jeff, the legal status of this medication, the Fepristone, is in flux. And uh, after that decision, we saw another case addressing access to all abortion uh, pills. So that was decided in Washington state. That is where a judge ordered the federal government to keep the drugs available in more than a dozen states. So the Department of Justice, which represents the FDA, filed a notice of appeal late Friday to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. I know this gets kind of Byzantine, but it's, it's important stuff. And then earlier this week, uh, President Biden's Justice Department requested clarification from this judge in Washington, because apparently these opposite orders have created some uncertainty regarding abortion options that will be available to people in our country, Jeff. Yeah, and then today, the Justice Department said it will ask the Supreme Court to block the ruling by yesterday's federal appeals panel. Attorney General Merrick Garland said in a statement that the Justice Department strongly disagrees with the Fifth Circuit's decision that partially overruled but still kept in place portions of that earlier decision. I know you said it's Byzantine. I want people to be able to follow this. But again, our experts are going to know much better than us. Right. But uh, the uh, but the attorney general said that the Biden administration would, quote, defend the FDA's scientific judgment and protect Americans access to safe and effective reproductive care. So that brings us right to our first guest today. Catherine Bodie is the Assistant Policy Director at the New York Civil Liberties Union, um, specializing in gender equality and reproductive rights issues. So prior to joining the uh, New York Civil Liberties Union in 2009, she was a legal educator in Cambodia, uh, working in provincial communities on uh, legal and extra-legal remedies for violations of women's rights and citizens' land rights. Um, Catherine Bodie previously worked at the office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, has been a volunteer immigration attorney, has assisted in securing asylum status for recent refugees. Currently, she is teaching at Cardozo Law um, on Reproductive Rights Law and Justice. She's also the former chair of the Sex and Law Committee at the New York City Bar Association. So with that, Catherine Bodie, welcome to WBAI and to Driving Forces. If, in fact, we can welcome you to the program. Because you're there. Okay, I think we're going to... I'm here. Oh, there you are. Can you hear me? Ah, There you go. ah, Excellent. Excellent timing. Glad to have you on the program. Welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to jump right in. You know, last year, the uh, the high court eliminated the constitutional protection for abortion and that lets states set their own laws. And then we've watched some states really jump to sort of turn back the clock on this. states like Texas, where clinics stopped providing these procedures right away. So based on what we saw there, was this latest court ruling in Texas a surprise or not? I mean, it's a great question. Uh, The anti-abortion movement will really stop at nothing uh, to see access to abortion care eliminated in this country. 
Um, and so while I, I don't think it's a surprise because we've certainly been um, preparing uh, for these kinds of moments, um, it certainly lands for me and I'm sure other people as a shock to the system. Uh, you know, um, the uh, abolitionist organizer, um, Miriam Kaba, uh, has said that um, uh, hope is a discipline uh, and that revolutions are, are, are really born uh, from our grief and our despair. Um, and so I, I think our grief here uh, can really actually um, illuminate our call to action um, and not our, our surprise. Um, um, and certainly I'm not counseling that we, we um, organize around our pain, um, but I think instead we need to be really organizing around our values of connection and community um, and equality and justice um, and, uh, and really uh, support for each other. Um, but, but here we are again in this unprecedented moment where uh, a court has rolled back people's rights um, and I think that we really have our, our work cut out for us. It's, it's going to be critical for states like New York to step up, uh, to fight back, um, and to uh, protect abortion rights, um, and really to advance access wherever we can. So, Catherine, wanted to ask you sort of, I'm going to go more into uh, some of the details, but very, very broadly, the, the significance of this, and I've seen it described in a few different ways. One is obviously, you know, the immediate impact of the availability of um, a medication that can induce an abortion in Texas. But more broadly, are other states going to be looking at this? And then even more broadly, um, could this type of legal action apply to other kinds of medications? Could people just start challenging all kinds of medications that they don't think are are appropriately approved by the FDA or that are not sort of morally, uh, you know, tolerable to them? Uh, you know, I think that that certainly is a concern. Uh, I mean, some people have spoken about um, vaccines and, and so on and, and uh, and um, other types of uh, cancer drugs or life-saving remedies and, and so on. Um, I, I think it's important to stay in this moment with uh, abortion because so often we see abortion treated differently um, by courts and legislatures. Um, uh, so um, for me, this there, there are a lot of uh, big takeaways um, from the this, uh, this, this actual string of rulings, right? Um, and, and this is by uh, by no means over. I think that we are very much expected uh, to see this go to the um, Supreme Court shortly. Um, but, I mean, I think I, I do want to emphasize that this is really unprecedented. Um, no court has ever blocked uh, an FDA-approved drug um, in the history of the, the federal judiciary or, or the history of the FDA. Um, and it is by no coincidence um, that this lawsuit uh, found itself before this judge um, in uh, Amarillo, Texas. Uh, it, it, plaintiffs um, really handpicked um, one of, if not the uh, most ideologically uh, driven federal judges on the bench um, in the country. Um, and so uh, it, this should be extremely concerning uh, to those of us who believe in the rule of law and uh, believe in the importance of uh, judicial discretion. Um, and I think it really underscores in this moment how um, we need to make sure uh, that we are doing everything we can uh, to make New York um, an access state 
and a leader. Um, New York certainly has that history. We had a history of opening our doors. Um, we partially decriminalized abortion in 1970, three years before Roe, and people really came from all over the country and all over the world um, to access care here. Uh, we, um, we had billboards on our borders saying, if you need an abortion, come here. And that is still the message, and that is still what is happening. I'm not sure if you read the uh, New York Times article uh, the other day about um, how New York City is actually putting billboards up in states where abortion is uh, inaccessible uh, to say, if you need an abortion, um, come here. Um, uh, we, we, um, uh, so we are doing really everything we can to get that message out and to make sure that New York uh, is, is an access state. Catherine, thank you for joining us on the show. You know, we talked about it in the opening, and you've mentioned it, too, that this will likely then go to the Supreme Court. Given the conservative bent of the court, you know, is there is there just a sense of resignation? Is there a sense of hope? Is there, you know, what are what are you feeling right now if it looks like this could go to the Supreme Court? I mean, it is very concerning when uh, the line of, of judges and justices um, that will hear this uh case um, are uh, the uh, least likely to um, to uh, blow by the considerable um, concerns in the, in the in the case uh, that the Supreme Court is is the the um, the, the bastion of hope here um, you know just shy of a year after uh, the leaked decision and the and the the decision in, in Dobbs overruling Roe. Um, so that is certainly uh, concerning that that would be our shred of hope. Um, but I, I think if you look at the language that was in the district court and the the first the the Fifth Circuit uh, ruling, um, it, it was language that comes right out of the anti-abortion playbook. Um, they called pregnancies unborn children. Uh, the the judges uh, and uh, called medication abortion. Uh, chemical abortion, um, they uh, called uh, health care providers abortionists. Um, so I, I think here uh, we are seeing how um, uh, how these judges really um, prioritized uh, a, 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 an extremist agenda um, where uh, where their decisions really showed a um, results-driven ideology rather than uh, a decision based on evidence and medical science. Um, we, you know, we have a judge putting themselves uh, in uh, the FDA's shoes, uh, notwithstanding the, the fact that they lack the FDA's expertise here, um, and, you know, relying on uh, method methodologically flawed studies um, that weren't even actually before the court. Um, and uh, and uh, several uh, random anecdotes. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that uh, certainly, um, you know, it is difficult to anticipate what will happen. We can um, plan for uh, plan for um, a worst case scenario, um, but in that worst case scenario, where um, uh, people are uh, have less access to abortion care. Um, we know that uh, that that would fall hardest on um, people who uh, have a 
really difficult time accessing healthcare anyway. Um, and I'm specifically talking about uh, people of color, people struggling to make ends meet, young people, uh, people living in, in rural areas. Uh, and to that end, it would really it also just exacerbate um, the maternal mortality crisis that um, has fallen hardest on black women in this country. Um, being denied an abortion can really have a, a devastating uh, economic consequence and, and drive people deeper into poverty. So we really need to be considering um, the, uh, those consequences of, of, of potential Supreme Court decision here. If you're just tuning in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we're speaking with Catherine Bodie, Assistant Policy Director at the New York Civil Liberties Union, about the future of reproductive rights, considering some of the uh, legal maneuvering that's going on specifically uh, right now in Texas. And Catherine, I, I don't want to get too far into, um, you know, the, the esoteric parts of the conversation. But, um, you know, wondering what you think of this case uh, or how this case will be viewed, you know, maybe in the Supreme Court, but on the merits, because from what I understand, the, the argument is about FDA approval of this medication. And uh, from everything that I've read and seen, um, this is not a new drug, certainly, and it's known to be effective. It is not known to have, like, super crazy, dangerous, weird side effects. Like, this is not something that somebody pulled out of a hat and was like, take this. This is something that's been around and been tested and tried for a very long time. So on the basis of of the argument that it was not properly approved, you know, can that stand, can the argument stand up even to a Supreme Court that leans ideologically right? I mean, I think when you have a court that again, is results-driven, uh, they will figure out how to get to the spot that they want to go. Um, certainly, this is the Supreme Court uh, that um, relied on uh, a, a very narrow um, and, I would arguably, uh, incorrect reading of the Constitution uh, to find that uh, abortion was not part of um, either a privacy protections or equality protections. Um, so, I mean, this is this is part of a broader approach to um, undermine people's rights. Uh, I think that we have seen how the federal judiciary has really been stacked um, in the last uh, 40 years, 50 years, um, to have a, a cer- certain ideological bent. Um, and one of those uh, pieces is certainly uh, in, you know, anti, anti-abortion um, ideology and agenda. Um, so, you know, I think we we certainly need to be doing what we can as a state. We need uh, constitu- constitutional protections in, in New York State's constitution, for that matter. Um, you know, I think a lot of your listeners would probably be surprised to know that uh, the New York State constitution does not explicitly uh, protect uh, uh, people in our LGBT community, um, those with disabilities, um, women, uh, pregnant people. Um, uh, and, and so it's really important, actually, that we take steps to uh, make sure that we are, are doing what we can to, uh, uh, to ensure that our founding document adequately reflects our vision of what is important and that we are um, doing everything we can 
uh, to protect New Yorkers and those who need access in our state. And I know that in the next few minutes, we're going to uh, go to our next guest who's going to talk more specifically about the scene in New York. Uh, we've only got about a minute or two left, Catherine. So I just wanted to ask you then, given what you just talked about, if our listeners feel, you know, you said organize around our values, not our pain. But if our listeners want to organize, if they want to do something, what are some things that the average person can do right now while this work works you know, its way through the courts if people want to get involved to preserve this right? Yeah, I mean, there are certainly uh, a lot of pieces uh, of um, New York state law that need to be advanced, um, and there's certainly steps that New York state could be doing um, uh, that I hope your your next guest, Assemblymember Gonzalez Rojas, uh, uh, speaks to, you, and I, I know that she will because she's the sponsor of um, one of those measures that would create a, a state fund um, for uh, for abortion care. Um, there's a lot of investment. There's a lot of legal protections and steps that New York can take. Um, that is reflected uh, in the NYCLU's uh, abortion access agenda. Um, it is something that can be accessed on the NYCLU's website, uh, the New York Civil Liberty Union's website. Um, and I would just tell people to stay tuned because uh, the legislature has uh, twice passed a uh, constitutional amendment. And we are expecting that to be on the ballot in 2024. Um, and it is going to be a constitutional amendment um, which uh, advances um, the, the very equality rights that I was just speaking to um, and ensures that, uh, that pregnant people uh, to our conversation here and, um, and, and, uh, and women uh, really need access uh, or really protected uh, within the um, within the language of our state constitution. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for appearing. And for our listeners, that website, by the way, is nyclu.org for anyone who wants to learn more about that. Catherine Bodie, thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI's Driving Forces today. Thanks so much for having me. So, Celeste, we're going to get jump to our next guest in about 30 seconds. But okay. uh, one thing you talked about that, no, something I had read about because I was really curious about what the you know abortion opponents were claiming in, in their litigation. They were saying that, you know, it was caught the this medication was causing cramping and heavy bleeding and severe pain. Yet, you know, and that the FDA ignored these risks. However, years of scientific studies showed that serious complications were rare and resulted in less than 1% of patients needing hospitalization. That was a piece that I had read in the Times because I was really curious about what they were kind of standing on in this. Any, anything you wanted to add before we get to our next guest? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to stand here, uh, you know, on the radio and make claims mm -hmm. on what I know and don't know about uh, pharmaceuticals and so on. But, I mean, if the function of the medication is to induce or contribute to um, an abortion, then cramping and bleeding would seem to be sort of part of that process. Again, don't get me wrong. I am not here. I am not your doctor. I do not even play a doctor on TV or on the radio. But I mean, is that akin to saying that a side effect of, uh, I don't know, uh, ibuprofen is a drop in body temperature because you take it for a fever. I mean, you know, it's like, does that make any, does that make any sense, Jeff? I, I don't know. But in, in any event, that was, I mean, I don't, if you want to jump in on that, but you know what I'm saying? If like, if, if it's not a negative, unexpected, uh, long-term deleterious side effect, but it is part of the process for which the drug is mm -hmm. created. 
right? I mean, I'm not sure that's like the biggest legal defense. I no, I know. know. And, you know, and I'm thinking as you're saying this, but every commercial I've ever read where they list all the side effects, like every right. drug. So right. with that, no drug just... is 100% safe. No drug is 100% safe. Completely. It can't be, right? You and I are aligned on that. I'm, folks, I'm pointing to her right now on YouTube. You and I are aligned, not YouTube, FaceTime. Okay, so with that, let us move right along and get back to today's topic on the war on reproductive rights. I am very fortunate to know our next guest, one of our newer state officials, whose advocacy and work continually impresses me. I'm talking about New York State Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas. She represents the 34th Assembly District, which includes Astoria, Corona, East Elmhurst, Jackson Heights, and Woodside in Queens. These days, given all the state lines, I don't even know if she's my Assembly member or not anymore because things always seem to change. She'll let me know. But throughout her career, she has championed immigrant rights, racial justice, LGBTQ liberation, healthcare access, labor power, and gender equity. Equity. Since taking office two years ago, she's introduced and passed legislation on maternal health, transgender rights, transportation, and a number of other issues. She chairs the Assembly's Subcommittee on Human Trafficking and the Climate Action and Environmental Justice Subcommittee of the Black, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian Legislative Caucus. And as our previous guest noted, one of the pieces of legislation that she has championed and which we'll discuss is the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Act that is in the state legislature. Just a few days ago, the New York Daily News published a guest column by her in the wake of the Texas decision, and that is something we will talk about as well. Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you, Jeff, for that generous introduction, and hello, Celeste, as well. So, oh, go ahead. Say, say hello, Celeste. Hello. Hello. Thank <laughs> you for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you for having so, me. Assemblymember, you have said, and I, I quote, that it is horrifying to see the continual erosion of reproductive health care. So before we dive into how these this decision could impact New York, uh, and, you know, we'd love to get a sense of what our legislature is doing. But first, give us your reaction to the Texas court ruling and what it signals to you. So not only am I horrified, I'm also enraged because, you know, as the previous guest mentioned, this is part of an ongoing attempt to roll back our reproductive rights and our bodily autonomy, and it absolutely has nothing to do with medicine or science. It is literally about power and control and having men continue to try to legislate over our bodies. And in in terms of what you, what you see here uh, for beyond beyond Texas, beyond this specific ruling in Texas. Uh, you know, do you have concerns about even states like New York that say, okay, we want to be a haven for or even a destination for people who need this procedure? If you cannot get it in your home state, you can come here and get this, uh, get this care, get a, an abortion service here. Um, do you think that, uh, how long is that going to last, I guess? Are you worried that that New York will at some point not have the ability to to make that claim that this is a safe place for an abortion. Uh, well, as as was mentioned, you know, we were one of the first states to legalize access to abortion care. Um, we've continued to um, be proud and claim that we are a safe access state. Uh, when the Supreme Court ruling leaked, our governor said this will be a safe haven for abortion care. Anyone that needs care will have can have an abortion in this state. Um, so we are preserving and protecting that right, and we're moving forward with numerous pieces of legislation to do so. 
Um, however, the one thing that I'm fighting for and championing uh, for is to ensure that uh, barriers to accessing that right uh, is not in place. And we want to make sure that not only do we protect uh, providers and protect patients, but also ensure access to that care no matter someone's zip code or how much money they have in their account or their immigration status. We must ensure everyone has access to that reality. You know, and what's so interesting is I, I just finished Matthew Desmond's book, Poverty by America, and it, it's just that he talks about, you know, we focus a lot, the media focuses a lot on people who are experiencing poverty, but many, you know, uh, many media outlets do not really get into the why. How does this happen? Why is it perpetuated? And something like this, this type of decision, if it goes through and it then impacts not just Texas, but across the country, you know, what does this then say about, you know, how, what does this then mean for our country uh, in terms of lifting people out of poverty? Because my impression is we're going to be seeing a lot of people who lose healthcare access a greater number living in poverty that they're not going to have this access. They're not. And, and it's, it's going to have serious ripple effects. Your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's a complete and all out war on, on working class people, on people who can give birth, on people of color. It, it's really a backslot, a backlash and an insidious organizing that has occurred up the row and, and civil rights games. You know, the far right is, is afraid and they're angry. And we've seen that in so many aspects of our society you know, that 1% is going to continue to, to roll back our rights. And, and you know, we have to keep fighting. We should have never let our foot off uh, the gas. And we need to ensure that we are very clear about fighting for our future. Um, because as you said, you know, to fight against poverty, we have to ensure that people have the dignity to determine if, when, and how to create a family and then be able to raise that family with dignity. And it is our job as legislators to ensure that everyone has the resources and access to fulfill that right. Um, and that's why my bill, the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Fund Act, uh, would do that in terms of the reproductive health access. Because, again, a, a right without access to the right is, is not a reality. And this is part of a larger movement uh, against our bodies and our rights across many movements. I often say and quote uh, Audre Lorde that says there's no such thing as a single-issue struggle because we do not live single-issue lives. And the fight for reproductive justice is the fight for working-class communities and economic justice and, and health access and, and immigrant rights and racial justice. They're all interconnected, um, and we have to ensure that we're being diligent to uphold all those rights and ensure that we have control over our dignity and our destiny. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Our guest is New York State Assembly member Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, and we are talking about reproductive rights. And Assembly member, I just want to take a moment to get this out of the way because I often feel like it needs to be gotten out of the way uh, quickly and sort of cleanly. What do you say to people who are more on the conservative end of the spectrum? who say if people took more personal responsibility for their actions and their own bodies, we would not need so many abortions in this country, or people would not be so concerned about easy and even frequent access to abortions. Let's just get that out of the way. How do you respond to those kinds of arguments? 
they are welcome not to have an abortion. <laughs> that's 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 why this is about choice and ensuring that right to, to make those decisions. If you choose to have a family, um, and th- that right should be respected as well. Um, part of the work at my time at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice is ensuring that everyone has the ability to make that those those choices and their decisions. So, for example, young Latinas have a high teen birth rate, and yet we're demonized for having children. <laughs> so it is important to say, like, if you choose to have a family, we will ensure that you can raise that family with dignity, that you have the rights and resources to not just survive, but to thrive. And that's our responsibility as a government. Uh, however, if you do not want to have that family, if you're not ready, or for whatever reason you are unable to uh, to have a family, you should be able to make that decision to, to pursue an abortion. Um, and that's really important. And that's, that's why um, this is actually about life and health and opportunities for everyone uh, to live their full destinies. Assemblymember, you earlier mentioned the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Act that's in the state legislature. Where does this stand? And explain for our listeners what it would do. How it, how it could impact anyone in the state. Sure. The bill is A361A. It's called the Reproductive Freedom and Equity Fund Act. It would do three things. It would ensure that uh, resources are uh, put aside. We're asking for $50 million to provide capacity resources uh, to clinics and providers. And that means everything from recruitment and retention of staff, uh, staff training, updating their technology, security enhancements, any operational needs that reflect the intention of increasing access to abortion care. Two, it would ensure that we're funding uncompensated care for those who are uninsured or underinsured. And three, we would it would ensure the practical needs. It would grant funds to nonprofit organizations that assist patients to getting access to that care. It would cover everything from uh, ground transportation, gas money, lodging, uh, doula support, translation services, any of the sort of practical needs that often prevent people from actually getting that care. And my years at the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health, uh, we saw that people who wanted and needed the care often didn't have that practical support to get that care, and that's what this bill would do. Um, So I'm so proud to be uh, the sponsor of this bill in the Assembly alongside Senator Clear in the Senate. Um, And it's uh, in the Health Committee right now. Um, We are pushing for its passage. I am excited to share that the Senate already passed the bill and has it in their uh, Senate One House budget. Um, But we're really looking to push the governor to include um, this fund in the uh, state budget so we can ensure that there's ongoing support. Uh, the governor did an important thing early uh, after the leak of the Supreme Court decision. She put aside $25 million in her own fund, um, but essentially it was sort of a one-time shot. She's um, proposed to provide another $25 million, um, but what this bill would do is codify a fund and, again, include that practical support element that's not included in her uh, fund um, to ensure people can have access to that care. Um, so we're really pushing, and there's uh, we have uh, we have like 50 or so co-sponsors on the bill. So there's a lot of movement, a lot of energy. It's just about getting it over the finish line. 
And Assembly Member, uh, when you're looking at this uh, legislation, what kinds of uh, pushback are you getting? Who are your opponents and, and what are their grounds? Is it purely ideological? Is it financial? Well, thankfully, our, our body is, is fairly progressive. Um, we've passed a number of uh, pieces of legislation just uh, in the wake of the decision to protect both providers and patients um, and, and the care that folks need here in New York. Um, so there's not a tremendous amount of uh, opposition. It's really about uh, emerging amongst the many, many priorities we're all fighting for in New York State. Um, so there's a, there's a couple other exciting things moving uh, in New York State. We're looking to increase Medicaid reimbursement rates and allowing pharmacists to provide birth control and data protection and ensuring abortion access to SUNY and CUNY campuses. So there's a lot of pieces moving. It's just about almost the competing priorities to make sure this, this rises above and, and that we underscore the importance of codifying a, a fund that, you know, sort of partially exists, but not a statute and not as an ongoing commitment. Because it's very difficult for providers and, and clinics to hire more staff if they're not sure if that money is going to come back in the, in the following years. So um, this, this fund would do that. And again, we're just really hoping to push it to ensure that it's a priority in our state. And Assemblymember, I know we only have about a minute left, and because you mentioned that this is something in the budget, we might as well ask you, because of course I have not followed this today, but you'll give us the latest or let our listeners know, where does the state budget stand? Do you think we're going to get a budget approved this week? I hope so. We are 13 days late. Um, however, uh, there's a couple of important issues that is sort of holding up the budget. Uh, most importantly, uh, bail reform. We need to protect and hold the line on the changes that we made back in 2019. Um, bail reform is working, and unfortunately, you know, the governor's responding to, to political pressure, um, but we know that we can't do any more further rollbacks, especially when we're here talking about uh, protecting bodily autonomy. We have to think about um, ensuring that we're not putting more bodies uh, behind bars. So that's one of the issues that's holding it up, as well as um, housing and, and the housing compact that the governor's proposed that has uh, quite a bit of pushback from particularly more upstate members. So those things are uh, holding up negotiations, um, but we're hopeful that we'll break through soon and, and get a budget passed because, you know, a state really depends on it. Fortunately, we passed these two extenders that allow the government to run. Uh, so, you know, folks are getting paid, except the legislature. Uh, but uh, we'll be back uh, Monday, if not sooner, to, to continue to press and, and move forward. And in the meantime, Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, where can people find out more about you and your work? On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I am at vote, V-O-T-E-J-G-R, vote J-G-R. Um, J-G-R is my nickname, Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas. <laughs> Perfect. Assemblymember Gonzalez Rojas, thank you so much for joining us here today on WBAI. Yeah, thanks again for having me. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we get back, we want to hear from you. Call in 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. What do you think about this Texas decision? What do you think about the future of reproductive rights in uh, 
our country? Where do you think this is going? Is this going back to the Supreme Court? Uh, what do you think is the future of, of abortion protection in New York State? Do you think uh, we'll be able to hold on to that for, for longer, or do you feel like it's being encroached upon? 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. And so we're going to take a short break now, and given today's topic, we'd like to leave you with a song that took on a new residence in the last year. Here is Loretta Lynn. Show me the world But all I've seen of this old world Is a bed and a doctor bill I'm tearing down your brooder house Cause now I've got the pill All these years I've stayed at home While you had all your fun And every year that's gone by Another baby's come There's a gonna be some changes made right here on Nursery Hill. You set this chicken your last time, cause now I've got the pill. This old maternity dress I've got is going in the garbage. The clothes I'm wearing from now on won't pick up so much yardage. Mini skirts, hot pants. Few little fancy frills. Yeah, I'm making up for all those years since I've got the pill. I'm tired of all your crowing, how you and your hands play. While holding a couple in my arms, another's on the way. This chicken's done for a purnace. Welcome back. WBAI New York. This is Driving Forces. That was The Pill by Grammy winner and icon Loretta Lynn left us last October. She wrote about and sang about a lot of advancements in the uh, women's social movement, uh, gave voice to people who had little control over their own bodies, over having children, over not having children. And speaking of hearing voices, we want to hear yours. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212 212- 209-2877. We are talking about reproductive rights. We are talking about the abortion medication decision in Texas, maybe headed to the Supreme Court. 212-209-2877. We're going to go to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. What's on your mind today? Uh, you don't have time for that. May I call you Celeste? You can, um, sure. w- with regard to the 
the the issue that um, that you're discussing, I think it might be helpful to rather than constantly focusing on the end product, focus on what the real target is is people out of wedlock having sex. So if it could be framed, if if it can if the argument could be framed that okay, you can have your insane abortion laws and we 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 will just refrain from having sex so that you don't you you still aren't getting the end game that you're looking for which which if i understand it correctly is to increase the the birth rate of um people who currently are in a low birth rate and reproduction area um if you would would you um repeat the assembly person's um Bill, bill number again, and I ask everybody to please call your assembly person, call the governor, call call uh, Stuart Cousins in this. Well, she's already done it. Um, call Carl Hasty. It, it it may sound routine if you can write write a letter to them. Mm-hmm. Go to and their, what 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 are web- you what are you suggesting that the the letter should asking, say? What do you want asking them, to, them to do? Well, I can think of three things right off top. Asking them to support the bill in the assembly, bring it to the floor. Let's get mm-hmm. the vote in. Let's get uh, Governor Hochul to sign it. It would be really nice if the majority that is in the assembly would pass it, so it would be veto proof. And um, and then uh, address the housing issue also. Because okay. tonight, uh, Housing Justice for All is, is attempting to get good uh, cause eviction and housing vouchers. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's really nice if they want you to have children. However, they fail to want you to have housing or food or anything else. All those things, we have plenty of money. First, uh, first 11 Americans on the Forbes real-time billionaires is $1 trillion in net worth. There are 100 billionaires that live in New York City. I am. I'm sad, I'm sad to report that I am not on that list. But I do want to thank you for your call. We do want to give other people a chance to uh, to get in on this as well. But and I think that uh, we might be checking up on that bill number for you. We're going to try to get that for you. Um, or Jeff, do you? Okay. I hope I get this right. Bill number A zero zero three six one A. There you go. Okay. Okay, see, here we are, WBAI, your local news station. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. I think we're going back to the phones. Let's get that next caller on the line. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. Uh, what's your name and what's on your mind today? Thank you. Uh, Artie from Queens, New York. Hi, welcome um, to the show. What's on your mind today? Thank you, guys. I'll make it quick as possible, but... Um, it just annoyed. Well, for one thing, Loretta nailed it. <laughs> Let's just say that. But um, I just want to say that it just annoys as a male, 68 years old in this country. It annoys the living you know what out of me, and it begins with an F and ends with a K. Yeah, FCC begins with F too. So thank you for controlling. But I was just going to say, all I was going to say, it annoys me that here it is in this country, we can uh, we'll turn around and talk about when don't take my gun from me. Oh, the country's too big, and and they want to the government want to stick their nose in my business. But you know, as far as a woman, 
and her rights to her body, um, we'll, we'll take care of that. That is really annoys the living hell out of me. And in the meanwhile, you have any moron out there who wants a pistol or an automatic, a, you know, AR, come and get it. No problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, an excellent point, and I, I totally appreciate the call. Thank you for calling in. And you know, I, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, and this is, this is something that has always fascinated me. There, there seem to be any number of cases where, ideologically, the driving force—sorry, no pun intended—even though we are on driving forces—but the driving force seems to be the preservation of personal liberty and the preservation of keeping the government out of your home. So, I mean, that would sort of, to me, legislate more for like leaving uh, same-sex marriage alone because that's people's personal private business, what they do with their bodies and their times in their lives. But, you know, suddenly people think that this should be an issue in schools or in, in uh, you know, the provision of public services like clerks and, and wedding licenses. I, I don't know. I, I think the caller makes a very interesting point, Jeff. Yeah, I com- I completely agree, and I know that we're uh, running short on time, Celeste. And I did want to make sure that uh, if any other calls come in, we'll try to squeeze them in. But I did want to make sure that before we go, we did our responsible thing, Celeste, which is to remind our listeners why we have these conversations, and we yes. do that uh, because we listen to you. A few a caller a few weeks ago said this very issue before this decision came down. We should focus on this issue more, and mm-hmm. that is why. Not that I was glad this decision happened, but the timing was right because it is something that we wanted to talk about. If you just tuned into this show on WBAI, this is Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and me, Jeff Simmons. Before we close the show, we just wanted to let you know that this show and all shows on WBAI, well, we rely on your contributions. BAI is listener supported. We're not supported by big pharma. We're not supported by car companies or liquor companies. It is your money that keeps us on the air. And every little bit matters to us. And that is why also Celeste and I go out of our way to try to get you gifts also that you can get if you contribute to WBAI and you become a, a BAI buddy, for instance. So um, Celeste, you know, you want to talk about the wonderful book that we got for people uh, just a few weeks ago. We had those authors on that yes. author on. And by we, I mean you. So Jeff was able to arrange for us to have this excellent, excellent guest uh, very recently, uh, Daniel Knowles. He is the author of Carmageddon, How Cars Make Life Worse and What to Do About It, out from Abrams Press. He's a uh, was a fascinating guest. He is the Midwest correspondent for The Economist, not a uh, small and insignificant publication. Uh, but you can get a copy of this book as our thank you. Uh, the money that you would send, which in this case $75 would be to support the station. You are not buying a book for $75. You are contributing to bringing WBAI into your home and into your life uh, in the lives of people that you know and care about for another 60 years. But if you contribute to this program, Driving Forces, as part of our BAI Buddies program, or if you give a gift of $75, we'll be happy to send you a copy of this wonderful, wonderful book. I have to tell you, you know, ever since I read that book, Celeste, I, I, I'm so much more observant. I'm observant of traffic. I'm observant. Well, I'm always observant of traffic. I fortunately have uh, been using mass transit a lot recently. I just don't care to get stuck in traffic. And he tells you about this. He takes you around the world and shows you where things are horrible, like Houston. And then for sorry if anyone from Texas is listening, but I've heard the traffic is horrible in Houston. But uh, he takes you around the world, places where things are working, where people are less reliant on cars. So what you can do is you can call 
212-209-2950 if you'd like to become a BAI buddy. That's where you give a contribution every month. goes right on your credit card. Or you can go to a website. We have a special webpage, Give2. That's the number two, give2wbai.org. You can make a pledge. You can become a BAI buddy. Uh, I want to thank, by the way, you know, our callers who've recommended topics before. You know, this is very important in transit, environment, climate, you know, healthcare. These are issues we hear from listeners about and we listen to you. That's why we also ask you for your support. Right, Celeste? Absolutely. You know, it only takes a minute to support free speech, independent radio. This is the kind of radio you really cannot get anywhere else. WBAI is not like other radio stations. And again, as Jeff said, big business does not power WBAI. You do. This radio station does not exist without you. That is the beginning and end of the story. This station will go silent, will go off the air forever without the support of everyone who listens. If you've been thinking about it, if you've been deciding if you can, you know, really fit it into your schedule, please take a moment today. Go to WBAI.org. Give in any amount that you can. If you can become a sustaining member, if you become a BAI buddy, please do it. New York City needs free speech, independent media. If you just want to have corporate media, if that's just okay with you, if that's good enough for you, all right, fine. But I don't think that's the case because you are here listening to this program today. WBAI.org. We thank you for your support. And we also want to thank our guests, Catherine Bodie of the NYCLU and New York State Assembly member Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. Thank you, Reggie Johnson, for keeping the show smoothly running along each week. I also want to thank our listeners, Daryl, and I believe that was Hardy, who also called in today from Queens. Go Queens. Thank you for always weighing in on the show. We appreciate it. We will be back next Thursday, same time, same place. Get ready, and Celeste will correct me if I'm wrong, but get ready for some trash talk. And no, not gossip, literal trash. Right, Celeste? You are right, Jeff. Absolutely right. I'm looking forward to this program because this is something like what we were talking about a moment ago with the cars, you know, jacking up our city. But, you know, this is something that we all live with, deal with, uh, try to work around, try to ignore, try to fix trash. So we've read the stories, but we will be diving into this and we want to hear from you for sure. Just a reminder, we upload every edition of this program to SoundCloud, Apple and Stitcher. So you can subscribe, never miss a program. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook as well. Well, thanks for listening. See you on the radio.